All right, well, good morning again. Welcome to PBC. So wonderful to be with you this morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to those of you who are back from Camp PBC. It's been a while since I've been around here up in this role. As Scott said, I'm just coming back off of uh, about eight weeks of leave. And so uh, we, we also recently just got back as a family a couple days ago from visiting my family in Minnesota. Still a little bit on central time, which if you have kids means that, yes, they were up at 4.30 this morning as they continued to adjust back. When I first heard voices at 4.30, I thought, surely this can't be the morning yet. Uh, turns out it was the start of the morning. So this morning as I'm back here, uh, perhaps I'm refreshed after some leave. Uh, perhaps I'm a little bit rusty. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Just, just be kind, I would ask. Well, uh, as Scott said this morning, we are continuing our series that we've been in this summer looking at stories of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. This morning, we're actually going to be wrapping up Hebrews 11. Paul's going to be back with us next week looking at the first few verses of chapter 12 as we wrap up the series. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at the conclusion of chapter 11. This past week, I've been spending some time uh, with my family watching the Olympics. Maybe you have as well. I'm a little bit less tuned in than I usually am. Maybe something about all of the Tokyo 2020 just kind of throwing me off. I don't know. Uh, but I've been following it a bit. And one of my favorite things about the Olympics every time they come around is the stories. The stories of these athletes who have given up so much, who have dedicated so much time and energy and made so many sacrifices just to make it to those games in the hopes that they might walk away with a medal. And yet, for each event, there's only one athlete that walks away with the gold. And so as I, as I think about this, I, th I think about all these lives, all of these stories, I wonder how many dreams will be made this week? How many dreams were made last week? I also wonder how many hopes will be dashed as athletes don't perform as well as they hope to, as they don't walk away with that coveted gold medal. And I, I wonder, as I think about this, I wonder how many of those athletes may have prayed a prayer leading up to these Olympics? Maybe a prayer that they might be able to stand on that uh, podium. I wonder how many unanswered prayers there may be as a result of these games. And I wonder how many of us here today may have some unanswered prayers. I think most of us. I can be confident, actually, that all of us have some unanswered prayers, some, some desire that we have that, that we, we've asked God for and, and we haven't received it, so, some hope that we have, so, something that we're longing for that God has not yet given us. I want us to, to think this morning a little bit about unanswered prayers. As we're thinking about faith in Hebrews chapter 11, I, I want us to think about faith in the context of unanswered prayers. And so as we get started this morning, I, I want to give you just a moment to pause and to talk to God about something. Ask that God would bring to your mind a specific unanswered prayer, a desire that you have, 
a hope that you have, something that you, you've asked God for and haven't yet received. And, and, and as you do, maybe something will come to mind quickly, maybe not. If nothing comes to mind, maybe just think about the 49ers. Maybe some unanswered prayers might come to mind there. Uh, but just, just, just take a few moments with the Lord and ask him to bring to mind an unanswered prayer. Let's, let's do that together. All right, I want you to, to keep that prayer in mind. We're going to come back to that at a few points throughout the morning. We're wrapping up Hebrews chapter 11, and, and if you've been tracking with us or if you're familiar with this chapter, you know that we have heard some incredible stories of faith in this chapter. We, we, we've seen some incredible instances where, where people have stepped out in faith and God has shown up in some pretty miraculous ways. Noah builds this ark and he's able to save his family from the flood. Abraham trusts God with the life of his son, Isaac, even when he's asked to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Moses has faith when he gets to the Red Sea after leading the people out of Egypt. As he gets to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are closing in, he has faith and he stretches out his arms and God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. We've seen some incredible acts of faith. I, I hope that these acts of faith have, have been encouraging to you. I hope that they've stirred up your faith. As we've heard about these stories of faith throughout this chapter, we, we've begun to see a pattern emerge. The pattern is somebody exhibits some kind of great faith, some kind of incredible act of faith, and God shows up in some incredible way. It's happened time and time and time again. As we read through the Old Testament, we see these stories happen over and over again. Somebody shows great faith and God shows up in incredible ways. But when it comes to our unanswered prayers, there's a danger that comes with observing this pattern. And the danger is that we want to take this pattern and turn it into a rule so that we begin to think that there's some kind of causal relationship between our faith and God's actions. And that, that if I just have faith, if I have enough faith, if my faith can be strong enough, if it can be in, incredible enough, then God is going to come through in some incredible ways. As we think about our unanswered prayers, if I, if I can just trust God enough, if I can believe in God enough, if I can hope in God enough, then God is going to come through in the way that I hope. And sometimes that happens, doesn't it? That's why it's a pattern, because we can see this. There are times where we have faith and God comes through like we're hoping. But it's not a rule, because it doesn't happen every time, does it? You see, there are, there are times when we actually don't have strong faith, when we can't find it in ourselves to actually trust God. What do we do in that place. Or there are times when, when maybe we do have strong faith, but God doesn't come through in incredible ways. 
This morning in our time together, as we look at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that sometimes God takes a weak faith and he still brings us to a place of victory over whatever circumstances we're facing. And sometimes we might come to God with a strong faith, but God's going to bring us in a different direction. He's going to bring us into a place of suffering. What do we do when we're there? Why why does God do that this way? We're going to see as we take a look at our text this morning. So join me in Hebrews chapter 11. Our passage for this morning is Hebrews 11, 32 through 40, the end of the chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection." Uh, in the chapter to this point, we, we've seen a fairly in-depth look at the faith of a few people. Most notably, uh, um, Abraham and Moses have received the most attention in this chapter. Now it's clear that as we have six people named in these verses and all of the prophets alluded to, that we're moving from this in-depth look to broader patterns of faith that we see in the Old Testament. The author starts in a very curious place with these these broader examples. He starts with the judges. Now, if you know anything about the judges, or if you were to go back and read this book, you would know that this is an incredibly low point in the time of Israel. The judges, by and large, uh, were not incredible people of faith. Many of them uh, didn't follow God very faithfully at all. And yet this is where the author starts us talking about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. So let me, let me remind us just for a few minutes about what happened in the stories of these judges. We start with the story of Gideon. Gideon, as far as the judges go, was actually not all that bad. Uh, in fact, he, he gets himself to a place where he wins this incredible victory with an army of 300 against an army of 135,000 with God doing most of the fighting for him. But when Gideon's story starts, he's hiding in a hole in the ground because he's scared. And and, and even though he gets to a place of faith, it takes him a long time to get there. Barak is the next person that's mentioned. Barak is promised victory by God. God. God tells him that I want you to go out into battle and I am going to give you victory. But Barak is scared. And so he looks to Deborah, another prophet, and he says, hey, I'm only going if you come with me, right? He's able to muster up a little faith, but he's not able to totally trust God. And yet still, God brings him to a place of victory. Then we get to Samson. If you read the book of Judges, uh, Samson is is not necessarily somebody we want to be like. Right? Samson does not show a lot of faith. Samson is, is an egotistical uh, womanizer who's power hungry, and he's just looking out for himself for the most part. 
This leads him to a place of having both of his eyes gouged out and grinding at the mill of the Philistines like a wild beast. And yet God takes his small amount of faith at the end of his life, his small amount of faithfulness, and he brings him to a place of victory. Then we have Jephthah, the last judge who's mentioned. Jephthah uh, is supposed to go out and fight the enemies of Israel, but he doesn't really trust God. And so instead he tries to manipulate God. And he says, God, if you bring me victory, then when I get back home, whatever walks out of my house, I will offer as a sacrifice to you. So he goes off, God gives him victory and he comes home and his daughter walks out of his house. And he ends up sacrificing his daughter to the Lord. These judges are not incredible people of faith. They're full of fear, doubt, selfishness. They're power hungry. And yet there's a little bit of faith. There's a little bit of faithfulness. And God uses that to bring them to a place of victory. You see, we, we tend to think that the way things should work is that if we have a strong faith, then God will bring us to a place of victory. If, if our faith is strong enough, then, then God will give us victory over whatever our present circumstances are. And sometimes that does happen, but it doesn't happen like that all the time, right? Sometimes we actually have a weak faith. Sometimes we actually have hardly any faith at all. And yet God, by his grace, he takes that weak, small amount of faith that we have and he brings us to a place of victory. The pattern of of strong faith leading to victory is not the way it always goes. Sometimes we have a weak faith and God still chooses to bring us to a place of victory. When we have strong faith and, and, and we find victory, this is the Red Sea paradigm. Right? This, is, this is coming up to the Red Sea and, and trusting that God is going to deliver and God performs the miracle and he does it. But sometimes we get to the Red Sea and we just don't think God can do it. We, we, we just don't believe in our heart of hearts that God is going to come through. And yet even in that place, God can do that. There's, uh, there, there, there's a, a challenge that we face, a problem that we face when we begin to believe that the only way for God to come through is if our faith is strong enough. See, if we believe that, we have have begun to believe the lie that the weakness of our faith is limiting the power of God. But you know what? God is not limited by the weakness of your faith. God is not limited by the weakness of your faith. As you think about this unanswered prayer that you have, maybe you find yourself in a position where you're just not really sure if you believe that God can come through. And maybe there's something in you that wonders if it's that lack of faith that is actually keeping God from answering your prayer. This morning, you need to hear that God is not limited by the weakness of your faith. If we don't understand this, we can get to some pretty dangerous places. I've actually seen this play out before. My sister, when she was in high school, she suffered from chronic headaches. These were debilitating headaches for years. And they began to to dictate every part of her life as a high schooler. She had to quit playing soccer 
because she wasn't feeling well enough. She, she couldn't go to parties and events that her friends could. She had to miss some school. She, she wasn't able to do this, the normal things that teenage girls are supposed to do because of these headaches. They, the, the headaches followed her into college. And uh, she, she met a group of Christians after her first year or so in college who wanted to come around her and lay hands on her and pray for healing. And these people came from a tradition where this was something that they, they did frequently. They would pray for healing and they had seen God perform miracles in many people's lives. And so my sister was, was eager to give this a try and, and they set this up and they came and they laid hands on her and they prayed for her. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And her headaches didn't go away. And at the end of this, this group of people said, well, you know, the reason that your headaches didn't go away is because your faith isn't strong enough. If you just believed that God could heal you, he would. We've seen him do it before. If you just had faith that was strong enough, God would perform a miracle. It's not the way that it works, right? Sometimes it does. Sometimes God does that, but sometimes he doesn't. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that if we just have strong enough faith, if we just believe enough, if we trust God deeply enough in our hearts that he's gonna come through in the way that we want him to come through. God is not limited by the weakness of our faith. We don't have to try to muster up faith in order for God to bring the miracle. Sometimes he might choose to respond to hardly any faith at all and show up in powerful, powerful ways. These judges uh, are, are evidence of just that. They were people of, of weak to no faith, and yet God used that faith by his grace to bring about some incredible results. As the author goes on from here, uh, he begins to allude to uh, other Old Testament characters. When we read of, um, of shutting the mouths of lions, we think of Daniel and the lion's den, right? When we, when we read of, of stopping the flame or quenching the power of the fire, we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Both Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in situations that seemed impossible. Their lives were at stake and yet they trusted God and God came through and he showed up. But as the chapter continues, we see that even when there's strong faith, God doesn't always come through like we want. So let's look at the next few verses here, starting halfway through verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. There's many people that we meet in the Old Testament who show an incredible amount of faith, and yet they suffer. They're tortured. Some are even killed, even though they have faith in God right up until the end. Nobody is named specifically in these verses, but a number of people are alluded to. 
When we, when we hear of mocking and flogging, we, we, we think of the prophets, Jeremiah most notably, who's flogged for his devotion to God as he tries to, to speak the truth and warn of God's coming judgment. Uh, Jeremiah was also stoned. Tradition has it that Isaiah was sawn in two at the end of his life. And we know of other prophets who were killed by the sword. So we have, we have all of these stories of these great people of faith who trusted God with an extraordinary degree of faith, and yet God didn't come through in exactly the way that they were hoping. God didn't bring them to a place of victory in the way that they expected. You know, sometimes God takes the smallest amount of faith that we have and he brings us to a place of victory. But sometimes, even when our faith is great, even when our faith is strong, God chooses to lead us into a place of suffering. I've seen this play out as well. Had some friends who uh, spent several years wrestling with infertility and, and they prayed for God to give them a baby. And, and then they found out after a few years that they were pregnant. They were filled with hope. They were so excited at what God was doing. But shortly after, the doctor told them that there were complications and that they were losing this baby and, and they were crushed. But they, they were faced with a, a decision at that point. Do we, do we just take what the doctor is saying at face value and begin to move on? Or do we choose to have hope in this situation and to pray for a miracle? And so they did. They, they, they prayed for a miracle. They asked God to save this baby. They, they, they showed an incredible amount of faith, as much faith as I've seen in anyone. They totally believed that God was going to perform a miracle. But for whatever reason, God chose not to. And the doctor, what the doctor said would happen, happened. They had this incredible faith, this, this strong faith. And yet God in his wisdom chose to lead them into a place of suffering. We wish that it didn't happen this way, don't we? We, we wish it would be so much simpler if we could just, just know that if we had enough faith that God would come through and, and answer our prayers in the way that we want. But he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he chooses to bring us into a place of suffering. And so uh, when, as, as we think about our unanswered prayers, there's, there's two different uh, false premises that we're kind of confronted with. One is that God is limited by the weakness of our faith. We've already seen that that's not the case. But the other false premise that we can come to believe is that we might be able to coerce God through the strength of our faith. Right? If we just believe enough, we can make God do what we want him to do. But the truth is that God is not coerced by the strength of your faith. There's no amount of faith, no amount of believing that you can do that will automatically result in God doing what you want. God can't be controlled by us even when we're sincere, even when we believe with our heart of hearts that he's going to do it, he may choose not to. We can't control God. We can't coerce him. We can't manipulate him. God is going to do what God is going to do. And yet he asks us still to step out in incredible faith, to, 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 to believe 
that he can come true, that he can come through and to ask that he would do just that. You see, but when we believe, when we, when we come to believe that God can be coerced through the strength of our faith, we just fall into paganism. Right? That, that's what this is. Paganism is, is this view that, there, that there's all these gods and that, that we have to appease them in order to get what we want. Right? We do a little song, we do a little dance, we, we, we have enough faith, and then things turn out our way. That's paganism. That, 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 that's not Christianity. That's not faith in Jesus. The truth is that faith in Jesus means that sometimes, even when we believe with all of our hearts that God's going to come through, he might not, not in the way that we're hoping he does. So think for a moment about that unanswered prayer in your heart. Is there any part of you that is hoping that if you can just believe enough that God will come through in the way that you want? I've been there before. I'm sure many of us have. We need to remind ourselves in those situations that God can't be manipulated. God can't be controlled. And yet still he calls us to a place of faith and trust in him. As the chapter concludes, the author wants to draw our attention to the only proper object of our faith. Let's look at the last couple verses here, 39 and 40. All of these, that is all of the people that have been mentioned in the chapter up to this point, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So here the author is trying to, trying to summarize the whole chapter, right? Not just this passage we've been looking at today, but trying to, to, trying to bring together everything that he said so far. All, all of these stories of faith from the Old Testament that he's talked about. And, and he, he points out something, that none of these great people of faith who have come before us have received what was promised. Now, this is an interesting thing to say because we know that some of them actually did receive what was promised, right? God did part the sea and bring the people out of slavery in Egypt. Some people did receive what was promised, but just in part. They they, they never received the full thing. See, because all of the promises, the whole story of the Old Testament is meant to bring us to the place and the person of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God in the Old Testament, who is the culmination of all that God has done throughout history, the person of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just promise safety through the flood. He doesn't just bring us through the the flood waters he promises to deliver us from death itself. Jesus doesn't just provide a ram as an acceptable substitute to the sacrifice of Isaac. Instead, Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice for sin. Jesus doesn't just part the Red Sea and let the people walk through out of slavery from Egypt. Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin. All of this, the whole Old Testament story is meant to bring us to the place and the person of Jesus and invite us to place our faith in him. See, this is not just some kind of abstract faith. 
Not just, well, it, just, just believe, just, just trust that things are gonna work out. Just believe that everything's gonna be okay. The kind of faith that we are called to is faith in a person, faith in Jesus. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to invite us into. All of these promises point to Jesus. You see, if we're, we can become so focused on, on the outcome of our faith that we're, we're just wondering, is God gonna come through in the way that I want, right? Is he going to show up in, in, and give me victory or, or is he gonna not show up in the way I want and bring me into a place of suffering? And we begin to, to evaluate the, the quality of our faith, right? Do, do I believe in God enough? How much do I really trust God? Is my faith weak or is my faith strong? We can get caught up in, in the outcome of faith or in the quality of our faith. But what, what Hebrews is trying to drive us to, the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is trying to drive us to the fact that what's most important is not the outcome of our faith. It's not the quality of our faith. It's the person in whom we have faith, Jesus himself. And whether we find ourselves in a place of having a lot of faith, whether we find ourselves in a place of having hardly any faith, whether God comes through in the way that we want or whether God leads us into a place of hardship and suffering, either way, all of those circumstances are meant to bring us to the feet of Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus, we don't have to try to muster up faith. We don't have to try to bring ourselves to a place where, where, where we just believe enough. And we don't have to become disillusioned when, with God when he doesn't come through in the way that we want. Because no matter what happens in the outcome of our faith or in the quality of our faith, we are met with the person of Jesus, the proper object of our faith, the one who came down from heaven, who lived among us, who gave up his life as a sacrifice for us and opened the way for us to be with him forever. That is the person that we are invited to trust. And if we're trusting in that person we don't have to be so concerned with how things play out in the here and now. We don't even have to be so concerned with whether or not we have enough faith. Instead, we are invited into a place of honesty with God. And so here's my, my final encouragement to you this morning. My encouragement to you is come to Jesus with whatever faith you have. Come to Jesus with whatever faith you have. As you think about this unanswered prayer in your life, don't, don't just try to muster up the faith that God's gonna come through. Don't try to control God by having enough faith. Instead, just come to the feet of Jesus and say, here I am. Jesus, my faith is not what I wish it was. Or, or maybe Jesus, I really believe, but even if you don't come through in the way that I'm hoping, I'll still trust you. That's a place of honest faith. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to disguise it. We don't have to try to be something that we're not. We just come to Jesus and we tell him what's there. Here's where I am, Jesus. And as I'm here, I want to be with you. That's the invitation that we have, to come to Jesus with whatever faith you have. In Mark 9, we have this story where Jesus uh, encounters a father who has a, a demon-possessed son. And this demon has done all kinds of uh, crazy things in, in this child's life. And he, he causes him to have these, 
uh, these convulsions and, and to, to fall down on the floor, foaming at the mouth. And he just, his whole life is dominated by this demon that he's oppressed by. And this father is distraught and he comes to Jesus looking for help. This is in, in uh, Mark 9, starting in verse 21. This is what we read. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. He's often been cast into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That is honest faith. That is a prayer of honesty with God. God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, God there's, there's something in me that believes that, that you are the answer to my problem. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking to you. There's, there's something there. But Jesus, there's a part of me that's just not there. There's a part of me that, that questions, that doubts, that wonders if you really can or if you really want to come through for me. Honest faith says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so I want to encourage you this morning and we're gonna, we're gonna end our time in this way to, to just think about this unanswered prayer you have in your life and to try to adopt a posture of honest faith. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm, I'm at your feet. Here's my burden. Here's my request. Here is my desire. I believe that you can help me. But I also have questions. I also have doubts. I also have reservations. I have fears. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. So take just a few moments in the quiet with the Lord to pray that prayer. Prayer of an honest faith. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. The band's gonna come up as we're praying and lead us in one last song.